Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Minnesota. Kristen Lyerly in OBGYN is on the Fox River. And up on Lake Monaco is Kirk Bangstead of the Monaco Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Won't you let me die? Hello and welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm Kirk Bankstead. Oh, and I'm Kristen Lyerly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Pat Kreitlow, welcoming Kristen to uh, to the wild world of scripted shows, where we're, <laughs> we, uh, we introduce ourselves. Um, on the by show the, this week... By the way, a, Pat, we haven't introduced Kristen as our new host. we got to do that. Are we doing that later in the show? I guess she did pass the, the audition, didn't she? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Sarah Yakub uh, announced uh, a couple weeks ago that she was running for assembly, and so she needs to be on a... Yeah, she needs to run her campaign. And so uh, Kristen Lyers has been on our show a number of times already as a guest. And and she was so uh, she was so like just knowledgeable. And she, we actually didn't have anybody on the eastern side of the northern part of Wisconsin. So it made perfect sense to to recruit her to be on the show. So welcome, Kristen. You're an official host now. I'm so excited. And I'll remember that there's a script and I can't just talk anytime that I want to. No. <laughs> I'm trying to think what you get for this. I mean, there's not even a merit badge involved, but we'll try to come up with uh, something here. I get to represent the folks from the eastern side of the state, which is where I'm from and where I live now. So it's great to bring this part of the state up north. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, on the show this week, what's it going to take to keep our kids safe in school? We've got a guest about that coming up. Also, we talked to the former Brown County Republican chair about how Ron Johnson told him he knew Joe Biden had won, even as he continues to sow doubts about the 2020 election. And as Ron Johnson and congressional Republicans killed a restaurant revitalization fund, it reminds us all of why Kirk started his super PAC in the first place. But first, uh, in the short time before our break, we have breaking news. Not just any breaking news, but news that threatens to blow the barn doors off Wisconsin elections. And the only person who can save us from it all, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, is Robin Voss, the Speaker of the Assembly. So, look, mm. I'll try to make this quick. The Wisconsin Elections Commission is made up of equal number Democrats and Republicans. The chair's position switches parties every two years. And today, Wednesday, Democrat Ann Jacobs was supposed to turn the gavel over to one of the two Republican members. One of them is Bob Spindell, who's one of the fake Trump electors. Kirk, one of your buddies. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, of course, a renowned conspiracy theorist at this point. The other, Dean Knutson, has previously served as chair. And since anyone running has to get at least one Democratic vote, it seemed there was no way the conspiracy theorist Spindell would be chosen. But as today's meeting got going of the Elections Commission, Knudsen, the one who isn't a conspiracy theorist, resigned. He basically got sick of being called a rhino for acknowledging that Trump lost fair and square. Spindell, as you can imagine, said since he's the only other possible candidate, elect him. But instead, everyone on the commission except him voted hell no We'll wait and see who takes Knutson's place. Who will that be? That depends on Robin Voss, who's also being called a rhino for not kissing Trump's butt hard enough. So will Voss go the Liz Cheney route and appoint someone who will act in good faith and likely chair the Elections Commission? Or will it all be thrown into chaos by appointing another conspiracy theorist, ensuring that person or Spindell can grind the Election Commission's bipartisan oversight to a halt? What? the hell you guys <laughs> it's already chaos i mean let's be clear about this because it's really important there were 10 people 
who brought our votes from Wisconsin to Washington, D.C. to say that we voted for Joe Biden. And there were 10 other people who lied and tried to bring Donald Trump's name to Wisconsin. They lied. And this is one of those people who tried to overthrow the will of the people of Wisconsin. And he's going to be in charge of elections. Kirk, yeah. talk to me. Not uh, that's not going to happen. But I, I, I don't I don't Voss has shown that he's got no spine. Uh, time and time again, we can't trust that. So I feel like the Wisconsin Elections Commission will get worse as a result of this uh, resignation. And and I'm not I'm not happy about it. So stay tuned for more on this one. Anyway, when we come back, we'll talk to someone in the Green Bay area who works on school safety and security. The people we have to rely on more than ever now to keep our kids safe. You're up north. Laughed and kissed his mom and said, you're Billy Joe's a man. I can shoot as quick and straight as anybody can. But I wouldn't shoot without a cause, I'd gun nobody down. But she cried again as he rolled away. Don't take your guns to town, son, leave your guns at home, Bill. Don't take your guns to town. All right. Welcome back to the Up North podcast. So last week we talked with a Green Bay community police officer about gun safety because there was a mass shooting in Buffalo. And of course, we all know that there was a school shooting yesterday in Texas. So incredibly, profoundly, unbelievably sad. So we have to revisit this topic again. Um, we just can't avoid it. So luckily, we have an incredibly well-experienced community leader with my dear friend, Ed Dorf, who was the executive director for the Wisconsin School Safety Coordinator for five years. He was a national trainer and assessor for the Alice Training Institute, which is an organization that helps uh, schools and churches deal with active shooter situations. Um, he is board certified as a physical security professional. He conducted school safety training and site audits across the country. And most recently, he was just asked to teach the new school safety assessors for the Wisconsin DOJ Office of School Safety. Ed, thank you so much for being here for such a somber occasion, but such an important topic. Well, thanks, Kristen. Thank you. All right. So, Ed, I'm going to ask you a question in a second, but I kind of want to, you know, get, you know, go at 100, 100, you know, feet above, uh, you know, in the sky here. We're, we're back again after another mass shooting. Um, the, you know, the country is, ex you know, it's explosive anger and rage again because it shouldn't, we're the only country that this happens to in the world. Um, and, uh, I wrote a, a big thing uh, today. Steve Kerr, the coach of the Golden uh, Golden State Warriors, uh, kind of lost lost his temper. He was weeping. His father was killed in a in a in a gun uh, a, a gun homicide in Beirut. Um, he said it best. There's 50 Republican senators that would rather hold on to power than protect innocent children, and they will do nothing about uh, uh, this uh, our gun problem in our country. And there are two Democratic senators who will not vote to end the filibuster so we can pass simple uh, uh, gun legislation, uh, nor like like sensible gun legislation. And, uh, and we can't do it with just a simple majority. We have to have a crazy 60 vote majority, which is never gonna happen. So 
Um, that's where we are. And it's just a, you know, I fear that if we don't do something as a country, uh, if we keep on not doing something every time this happens, uh, we will be further split apart uh, party against party and people will lose faith in government altogether in America. And when people lose faith in government, uh, they lose faith in our laws and it might, you know, there, there will be more violence and there might, it might push us even further uh, to what I, what I hate to even say, because it sounds so crazy, but it might push us further to some sort of a civil war in America. And it scares the heck out of me to even say that. But we didn't invite you today to talk about civil war or talk about gun laws because you can't do anything about it. We, we invited you on to talk about how we protect Wisconsin school children uh, and, and, you know, because our politicians aren't doing it for us, but we've hired folks like you to come up with plans to protect our kids. So, so welcome, Ed. And uh, we'd like to just talk to us about your, your reactions of yesterday and, and what you've been doing to try to keep it from happening in Wisconsin. I think my reaction was probably similar to probably 98% of the people in this country, parents and grandparents, uh, uh, just a, a truly a visceral reaction, nearly sick to my stomach. Uh, my wife, Barbara, and I were watching this all day yesterday. And, you know, we have we have grandkids, the ages of, of the, the little ones that were killed down in Texas. Uh, you know, one, one of the things you said, you, know, you talk about the, the politics of it. And God Almighty, you would, you would hope that these issues would transcend politics. I don't know what the legislation is that they're looking at right now or, or have been looking at, but everything that I've seen so far, you know, looks pretty to me to be pretty much common sense kinds of things that really shouldn't be an issue. But, you know, that's my opinion and my opinion in a buck will get your cup of coffee. Uh, so, you know, what are we doing on the here on the on the business end of things? You know, um, shortly after I retired I, and I was a school principal and um, in 2006 at my high school, we had a, a near miss with what was termed a, a Columbine-like uh, threat, and, and it was pretty scary at the time. Uh, when I retired in 2013, I had the opportunity to go to work for the Alice Training Institute. And uh, Alice is a, uh, it's basically a response. It, it's a, uh, a response to an active shooter situation, which is only one part of school, school security. Uh, it's a pretty important part, but only one part. And I want to talk about what some of those other parts are. But uh, if, if I can just talk about Alice for a moment, um, as I said, it's it's a response initiative. And it's an acronym that is not, it's not the sequence of things. It's just an acronym for things that we teach people to be aware of and, and to be, uh, to practice in, in terms of not just if there's a school shooting, but to, to practice at all times. Uh, and, and if you bear with me for a second, Alice is, like I said, it's an acronym. It stands for alert, lockdown, inform, counter, and evacuate. And when I would teach Alice, I would tell the people that I was working with that there are elements of Alice that I hope to God they would never, ever have to practice. I would hope they would never have to evacuate because of an active shooter. I would hope they would never have to counter because of an active shooter and, and they weren't able to evacuate. But other parts of it are things that we want people to be aware of all the time. Uh, the alert, sounding the alert, being aware of your surroundings, uh, situational awareness. These are things that that we need to uh, need to adopt and, and need to keep close at hand. Um, 
the L is for lockdown. And for many years, the only response to an active shooter threat was lockdown, but it was really inadequate because locked doors can be defeated. And what we found was that many of our schools didn't even think to lock their doors, let alone their classroom doors, not their exterior doors. So when, when we would teach Alice, we would teach that, okay, locks are great, but locks can be defeated. So you've got to go one step further, do a lockdown on steroids, learn how to barricade your door. And we would actually practice that in classrooms and office spaces and in churches and in uh, company buildings where we would work in hospitals, uh, show people how easy it is to use uh, uh, objects that are right there in their environment to barricade their door. Uh, the thought being, and it has been shown in, in some active shooting situations that if the uh, active shooter finds a door that he can't easily access, he's gonna move on. The I in Alice stands for inform, just uh, the concept of, of spreading information. We used to do a little, uh, when we would do uh, role play scenarios, we would always talk about who's gonna call 911. And even though it was a role play scenario, we'd say, we wanna make sure that somebody calls 911 when they are actually practices calling 911, simulates it. And invariably uh, when the noise started and the furniture started getting moved and the walls were being banged on, uh, nobody would call 911, even having just been reminded of that. So it's something we pound in people's heads. Uh, you know, you've got to inform people around you, inform however you inform people within your building, if it's a PA system, phone system, cell phones, whatever it is to get the word out. Uh, years ago, uh, the practice was, and this was just insane, uh, I think back 30 years ago when uh, when we were just on the on the uh outset of doing some of the school security things, we had code words. And uh, in, in the district where I worked, the code was Mr. Locker is in the building. And that was supposed to alert you that there was a, an active shooter. And I said to the people who brought that up, I said, why in the world are you using code words? You tell people what's going on. I mean, if there's a fire in the building, you pull the fire alarm. You don't say Mr. Flame is in the building. For God's sakes, you know, give them the information. Um, fortunately, we've gotten beyond that. And, and even at the federal level, uh, people say use plain language. And what you'll find when you talk to a lot of police officers, uh, a lot of their, they've abandoned the 10 codes. Uh, a lot of plain language or plain language is pretty much the standard. The C in Alice is probably the most uh, misunderstood. It, it stands for counter. And some folks got the idea that uh, when we were doing active shooter training in schools, we were teaching kids that they should have a can of Campbell's soup or a can of peas in their in their desk to throw at a, a shooter. No, we don't. We didn't do that. What we said was, can you do things to distract the, the, the shooter? And we would use scientific evidence uh, about uh, the accuracy of shooting and why these active shooters were so so deadly. Um, in fact, if you look at some of the statistics, you'll see that in an active situation, police officers who are trained miss uh, 60 to 80% of the shots that they take. Uh, and these are trained individuals. Active shooters who are, well, like this, this latest one, they're not trained uh, professionals, but they have an extremely high hit rate and kill rate. And why is that? It's because they were shooting sitting ducks. And so, you know, we, we talk about counter, about running around, about not being an easy target. And then the last letter E is evacuate. And that's really your best bet. If you can get away from trouble, get away from trouble. And, you know, we talk about running, uh, I'm sorry, uh, fight, flight, freeze, those, those kinds of things. 
And uh, we talk about how with training and with practice, you can overcome some of those fears that you have. Now, as I said, ALICE itself is, is a response. It's an active shooter response model. And there are others and there are good ones. Uh, you know, this happens to be the one that I worked for for six years and, and taught all over the country. Um, but even more important than, than the response is the prevention. And I'll shift gears a little bit to talk about my time as the executive director for the Wisconsin School Safety Coordinators Association. That's an organization that's been around since 1968. And for most of their history, they were more concerned with safety aspects, things like you would uh, uh, see in OSHA reports, slips, trips, and falls in closed spaces, uh, making sure your fire extinguishers are, are filled properly. Oh, my uh, God, lighting. Ed, that's, that, sounds, that sounds quaint. It sounds, it sounds like a time... <laughs> Of a hundred years ago, when that was our <laughs> biggest worry, it just it, well I, that changed right after right after Sandy Hook. It it, it took yeah. a remarkable switch change uh, here in Wisconsin. There was a, a DPI and the Department of Justice together held a conference in Racine at the Wingspread Conference Center, and they called together all kinds of organizations, ours not, and not the least of which, and said, "What can we do to to make things better? I mean, how do we educate people and?" And how do we, we get this word out? Uh, simultaneous to that, my wife, who was the executive director at the district we worked at, uh, went to Alice training for the first time and started uh, kind of a, what would you say? You started a crusade to, to bring Alice into Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, what WISCA did was said, all right, that's, that's well and good. But what about the schools themselves in terms of their readiness? And so... We, we opened up a, a whole new line of thinking around security. And to that end, what WISCA did was offer security analysis, security uh, assessments to school districts. And uh, boy, we've done hundreds of them uh, since 2013 when we started them. Good. And I, I appreciate that, Ed, because I mean, information is key. And I don't want to get too far off the, the, the school shooting end of it. But I wanted to relay, uh, I really wanted to listen intently to what you were saying about this because um, I almost found myself in a similar situation a couple of weekends ago uh, with two of my grandsons. We were, uh, we're in Texas and we're at one of those large indoor playground type facilities where they have kid birthday parties and everything else. And I mean, there had to be, you know, I don't know how many, 200, 300 kids in there and their families and it's loud and the air conditioning is going and the power went out. The lights oh. went out. Everything got quiet for a split second. And then all the kids, of course, started screaming. And my wife and I looked at each other and, of course, immediately thought the worst. And she took off in one direction to find one kid. I took off in the other direction to find the other. We both got about 30 feet and then realized there was nobody at the table if either one of the kids had come back to go and look for us. We would have missed them entirely. So uh, it's not just the schools. It's it's parents, it's grandparents yeah. who need to hear more about this. Are you doing these kinds of things? And we'll, we'll definitely hammer on the prevention uh, arm later on. But while we've got somebody trained in safety and security, are these kinds of tools and things, uh, you know, available to the general public? Or is it only those folks that actually think about it can try to Google it? Well, it's been pretty much uh, available with through uh, through the schools. I mean, that's what we've been doing the training: schools, police departments, hospitals, churches, 
those sorts of things. So the, the word gets out there. Um, and I know we're, we're just about out of time here, but I, but I do want to say that uh, as we look at those site assessments, and if you want to see uh, what they look like, you can go to uh, our WISCA website, wssca.org, wisca.org. But uh, we look at, uh, the most important thing we look at is human action. And within human action, the most important thing we found uh, as far as prevention is a good school climate, uh, knowing who the kids are. Um, then we look at the plans that they have and you know, probably secondary to that in, in terms of, of more uh, uh, structural kinds of things is the need for locking the doors. And I know that it's a pain in the neck for, for people to go to a school and have to go through uh, a double set of doors but that really is, you know, one of our best, our first line of defense. It, it does uh, make, yep. Yeah, it does make all the difference. I really wanted, yeah, I really wanted to say thank you so much for being here. And I have one quick question for you. You mm -hmm. spend so much time working on prevention and making sure people are safe. What can our legislators do again. to do their power? I, I think they, they <laughs> need I'm, I'm going to uh, cut you both off because we're going to get cut off in 10 okay. seconds. And well, I love Johnny Cash, so. <laughs> Uh, Ed, they need they need to listen to the families and and take action and, and stop you. listening to the the lobbyists. That's exactly it. Listen Perfect. to the families, not the lobbyists. When we come back, thank you, Ed, the Republican who put country before party when it came to the 2020 election. We'll be back. You're up north. Welcome back to the cabin. This is the Up North Podcast. I'm Pat Kreitlow along with Kirk Bangstead and Kristen Lyerly. We're going to turn our attention now to attacks on our democracy by people who try to undermine public confidence in elections that are being run properly. But by making false claims of fraud, they hope to either rile up their conservative base or maybe get some disenchanted moderates to decide to stay home come November. So obviously we had to play the song Caught You Red-Handed. And I, I'm a little bit too old to understand who that artist was, but, uh, but it's apropos because Mark Becker who's a former chairman of the uh, Brown County Republican Party. Um, he talked to Ron Johnson on, what was it? Uh, November 6th, right after the election. And, uh, and, and Ron Johnson admitted that, that he knew that Biden had won. And, uh, and, and, so, and, so, and then after that, so much more happened. Um, and so, so welcome, Mark. I wanted, I, I'm telling your story for you, but I want you to tell it yourself. Um, can, you, can you just go back to over a year ago, uh, right after the election, and, and, and talk about uh, your conversation with Ron Johnson? Yeah, well, um, you know, first off, um, thanks for having me, guys. This is, uh, it's an honor to be here. <clears throat> but yeah, so my conversation with Ron Johnson, it was, it, it really was a, a surreal thing. You know, I as as the election kind of went on and um, some of the misinformation got to be more and more and more, uh, you know, prevalent and and just just this this batty idea that you know Donald Trump for some reason <laughs> won the election. I was just, it was just frustrating, and so you know, 
being in the position that I was of chairman of the Brown County Republican Party, I do, I always joke that if my phone is ever stolen, someone is going to have, they can sell those contacts for a lot of money because like the people that I have information for and, and able to, am able to talk to, um, you know, it's, there's a, there's a lot of them. And one of them was Ron Johnson. I had his cell phone number. And so, you know, I sent him a couple of texts and it was, it wasn't anything bad. It was just, you know, things like, dude, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, and finally, I, one day I just called them and um, I left him a message and, you know, just said, hey, it's Mark Becker from the old chairman of the Brown County Republican Party. Excuse me a call. Well, holy cow, like 15 minutes later, he did. And so, you know, that, that conversation is pretty well documented in, in my article that was published on the Bulwark, which was like, oddly enough, they, they, at the end of the year, they do their like top articles of the year and i think that was like number three and which is great because ron johnson sucks and it's the more people know that the better but um in that conversation you know i kind of started out talking to him about the election and what was going on and i and i said like you know joe biden won this election like you you know that he won and he's like yeah joe biden won yes he's going to be our president i understand that and all those types of things and then you know, it's like, well, why are you, why, why are you doing this? You know, and then it, he kind of went on about some of those talking points of the baddie things about, you know, drop boxes and ballot harvesting and blah, 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 all that stuff. But then went back to the fact that, you know, it, you know, even if those, those votes were, were a lot, allegedly, there's still not enough to, uh, to overturn the election. He knew, he knew that. And, you know, I, I got off the phone. I was like, man, that was freaking wild. <laughs> yeah, and, and he said all you know, other things that we can talk about as well. But um, no, so that's the and that's just, that's all the story we need to hear. So, and and the, by the way, let me just fill everybody in. The reason I met you, Mark, was because you know my super PAC is suing Ron Johnson for you know to try to get him off the ballot in next November for aiding and abetting the insurrection, and that and it, and. And his def his defense lawyers have said that he's protected under the First Amendment. And so my lawyers, when they read your Bulwark article, and that's there's a reason that was one of the top articles, is because what you said was electrifying. And what you said should have cut through even more than it did. Uh, but there's to me, there's too many Republicans that are too, too bought into this lie to be able to have the courage like you did to 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 call it out they're, they're they they've they've buried it you know it, but it's but it's an important article and so my lawyers are like we got to talk to mark becker because this guy can show that ron johnson is not protected by the first amendment if he told somebody else that he knew he was lying so that's the reason we got put together um but the one question the follow-up question i have is is this you talk to him on November 6th, which was days after the election. On December 16th, he held a hearing that, because he's the chairman of the Department of Homeland Security, he held a hearing, he brought in everybody. He brought in Rand Paul, he brought in Trump's lawyers, he brought in some Trump legislature from Pennsylvania, legislator from Pennsylvania, and, and, and he actively said that there was too much fraudulent stuff happening all over the country to uh to 
Sir Biden to, to have won the election after that was a month after he told you that Biden did win the election. When he had those hearings, what was going through your mind? Uh, Mark, you might have to unmute yourself. Yeah, Mark, uh, we had, sorry, we had you unmute because the uh, background noise was kind of high. So there, there you go. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, we got you here. Yep, we got you. We got you. Yeah. So when I when I heard some of those, I mean, I, it was I, I was frustrated the whole time. You know, you know, from the times he would go on Fox News to the times he would, you know, hold these hearings. But I mean, yeah, like you say, especially that hearing was was absolutely ridiculous because I think the article came out like early December. I think it was like the second, and um. And then, yeah, that hearing was like the 15th. And I think I sent him a couple of messages. He didn't respond, which is weird. But uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's mind boggling and it's so frustrating. And like, you know, it doesn't take someone with more than a half of an ounce of brain matter to to cut through those lies. But the, but the thing is, they have just drilled down, drilled this lie into every fiber of the Republican party that like, it, it's just pervasive in, into the, every root of that organization. And it's people like Ron Johnson who had been so public and so out there and so loud about these, these lies that they know are, uh, that they know are lies. They know it's false. And, you know, from the people in in Wisconsin, the representatives here who who talk about how, you know, John Mako saying, oh well, you know, there's all these irregularities. Well, but buddy, then, then your win must be invalidated too, right? You know, and so like it's it's something that is incredibly dangerous to the fundamental, you know, the the fundamental part of our democracy, and Ron has aided and abetted that since the night of the election and it's really really bad and even before that you know the things that they that they were complaining about weeks leading up to it it's uh, it's not okay hey this is kristen lyerly and i would love nothing more than for john mako's results from his election to be invalidated because i was his (laughs) opponent that would be so great i know but here's my question and this is something that's kind of stuck in my head ron johnson has been crazy with his or consistent with his craziness like we everything we see about ron johnson is something bizarre and he just keeps getting more and more crazy and bizarre but he sounded rational when he talked to you per your report. So why was he normal with you? And why did he open up with you? Do you think? I don't know if he felt that he was talking to someone friendly because of, you know, my, my role or my position with the party. I don't know if he knew of some of the things that I've done since I left the party, you know, like endorsing Russ Feingold and campaigning for him and, being really outspoken about some of the inequality issues with, you know, black lives matter and LGBT issues and all those types of things. Um, so I don't know if he knew that side of me. And so when he, you know, saw my name in this caller ID, he probably thought that it was, that it was someone that, that he could maybe trust or something, but you know, it's interesting. All the things that Ron Johnson has said about me since December 2nd, um, the one thing he hasn't said is that I lied. So it's very interesting to me that he 
can call me a snake. He texted me the, the day after the insurrection, you know, there's glass on the floor of the Capitol. And he just randomly decided to send me a text and call me a, you know, a, a weasel and never wants to talk or see me again. You know, <laughs> like, it's like, bro, you got other things on your plate right now. You know? <laughs> You're like, but, thanks. <laughs> me either. <laughs> well, bro. What, what you say, what you're saying, Mark, is he, his own staff was at risk of getting killed by insurrectionists, but he had to text you and say that you, 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 you know, <laughs> you, you blew his cover. But what I want to do is follow up on that even more. So, so, so you're, I mean, listen, you were the chairman of the Brown County Republican party. I mean, yes. obviously at one point in your life, you were a very, you were a conservative. You, you, yes. you, you had conservative beliefs. You, you, you identified with the Republican party. Um, yep. I mean, so the New York times, just, I don't know if you read that article, like, like a couple of days ago, like Wisconsin is the top, like they, they said all the different states that, that the state kind of politicians are using the big lie to get reelected and are actively like engaging in it. Like there's 75% of the Republican party in the Wisconsin. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure if that's right, but I'm pretty sure like we're one of the top states or if not the top that is like, like swimming in this lie uh, out of all the states in the country. It's political suicide, just like Ron Johnson said to seemingly in Wisconsin go against the big lie. Why did you, wh how did you have the courage to, to potentially burn all your bridges in the party? And, 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 you know, and that's one question. The second question is why doesn't anybody else in Wisconsin have that courage? Um, so my frustration um, started during the primaries and um you know, I know Scott Walker and, um, you know, obviously I don't agree with a lot of the things that he did now, you know, after <laughs> my conversion, if you will. But um, so, you know, I was kind of helping a little bit in his presidential campaign and trying to get um, messaging and all that kind of stuff. And then I remember he, this was kind of the, the moment that I it was like a week where Scott Walker was leading in the poll or not, he was rising in the polls and he was standing right next to Donald Trump uh, on stage at the, at the debate. And Donald Trump said in front of God and, and 10 million people watching at home talked about Wisconsin being a disaster, Scott Walker being a terrible governor, you know, the, the, all just, just ripped him up and down. And so, you know, I messaged a couple of the, you know, leaders in the legislature and was like, what the hell? <laughs> like what? really like this guy can't be president like that we have to say something and so i think it was like the next day where people it was charlie sykes me jerry bader um you know a couple other i don't know if it was jim i think jim steinecke was there too and it was like we're never trump and this is this was also the birth of the never trump movement and so you know we were all very much like this guy sucks, right? Well, then he won the nomination and everything changed. And they just, they, they lined up to kiss the ring and like myself and people like Charlie Sykes and uh, they were like, are you serious? Like, so, what, what? Like this guy's nuts. And, and it, you know, I don't, I don't know if they were just, 
you know, starstruck by some of the things that, you know, the celebrity status or whatever. But, you know, this is the thing that that blows my mind. People that are Donald Trump fans will say, oh, my gosh, Donald Trump had never, never had the most Republican votes in any primary in the history of the Republican Party, which is true. But he also had more votes against him than any other candidate that ever ran for president as a Republican, too. So the people in the Republican Party, they are there that that oppose him. But the problem is the Republican Party, and they suck and they, they stand for really terrible things, but they have done a very, very good job at mainstreaming the crazy. Yeah, they, def- so they, that- they fall in line. That's yeah. that's how it works. And yeah. for, for some reason, it seems like we only get like one person for state per state. Wyoming gets Liz Cheney and Illinois gets Adam Kinzinger and we get you. And it's like there's no other no others that are out there. But and this leads to my final question for you um, there. There. For the people that are either never Trump Republicans or at least not, you know, com- completely, you know, off the rails, you've got people like Dean Knudsen, who, when he had the chance to yeah. stand up for what's right today, abruptly resigned from the Wisconsin Elections Commission, saying he basically saying he got sick of being called a rhino and and party leadership doesn't want him and everything. And now I was amazed to see that um, a a a good progressive was on Twitter shortly afterwards saying, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think Voss ought to appoint Jim Steinecke to that board. You're from that part of the state. Is Jim Steinecke somebody that could serve on that elections commission and speak truth to power or would he not be helpful? He All right. So not be in, in the vein of somebody brave like you. Right. So I, just to, you know, where, where I'm at, I'm not a Republican. I'm not part of the party. I have not voted for Republicans since I got, you know, 2016. So um, I, I consider myself a fiscal conservative with a social conscience. So I, I, I think I'm center left. Right. Um, but in terms of Jim Steinecke, I have always been someone who um, I, I he's a good person and he's someone who, you know, has in the past had the courage to either on social media or, you know, in, in public say things that are not always popular. Jim Steinecke was, you know, on, I saw on his, I'm a, his Facebook friend and, you know, on his personal Facebook was talking to someone who, and, and trying to, you know, explain to them, no, this election is valid. Joe Biden's your president. This didn't like these things didn't happen. Sure. There's issues and every election has issues regardless of who it is. But, you know, Jim Steinecke, um, he, he's a good man. And I, I think that he would be someone who, um, I think he could be fair. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we, and that's what we want to be on the shows. We want to be fair. There's a lot of times where, where uh, you know, I am not on the same side as Jim Steinecke, but uh, no, every so but- often he shows that, that potential. So Mark with that, we've, we've got to run, but we really appreciate your insight, uh, your candor, uh, frankly, your, you know, it shouldn't be considered bravery in this day and age, but, but it is. And we're, we're glad to have had you here, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take care guys. It's a, it's a pleasure. All have right. Good night, Mark. You too, Kristen. Thank you. We'll be back to wrap up the show in a moment. You're up north.
too. I'm, I'm busy killing spiders and things on my desk. It's uh, clearly spring has arrived. Uh, while we take care of business, I got to say thanks as always to our radio host, Devil Radio 92.7, the Shaw 101.1 FM and WAUK 540 AM. You can use their Devil Radio app to catch the show anytime. Get the podcast version of this show from all the usual places or the show's website, upnorthpodcast.com. The video version goes up on the Facebook page of Kirk's Monaco Brewing Company and on YouTube. And you can find my daily work over at upnorthnewswi.com. Sign up for our newsletter and check us out on social media too. Kirk. All right. So you just mentioned the Monaco Brewing Company. And I did. You, you mentioned at the beginning of the show. What was that? What was that? Uh, that bill? That the Restaurant Ron Revitalization Johnson. Fund, the pandemic relief that ran out right away. Saved all kinds of restaurants and restaurant jobs, but there wasn't nearly enough. And so when the vote came up in Congress last week for something that would have helped something like 3,000 restaurants in the state, a bunch of Wisconsin restaurant owners, uh, including, I think, Dave Heidi from uh, Madison, went out there, met with Ron Johnson, begged, pleaded. And in the end, Johnson and most of the uh, Senate Republicans voted no. And the Restaurant Revitalization Fund is dead, probably going to lead to a bunch of restaurants closing that so, can't make it after two years of losses and now so, inflation. So let me just talk about this. I mean, so I own the Monaco Brewing Company and it was a brew pub. Now we're a brewery. The Wisconsin Restaurant Association and the Wisconsin Tavern League are about as Republican as it gets. Like the both organizations that you kind of, you, if you belong to the Wisconsin Restaurant Association, you get a discount on your insurance uh, as a restaurant owner. So it's kind of like you're, you're encouraged to join and these guys are really conservative. Um, so, so that like Ron Johnson voting against restaurants and brew pubs and bars in Wisconsin is the exact reason why, why I started the Monaco Brewing Company Super PAC to get rid of Ron Johnson, because, uh, you know, this harkens back to the beginnings of this incarnation of my entire business. When Mitch McConnell voted held up the second round of ppp money that the democratic uh house house had passed in in june of like 2019 or 2020 no 2019 before uh, 2020 they held it up mitch mcconnell held up that second round and because the monaco brewing company only makes money like so many up north businesses they make money for four months out of the year, and then we just kind of hope for the best in the wintertime. I had to lay off all my employees in September. And then finally, when Trump lost, when Biden won, because Mitch McConnell held it up because he didn't want to give Democrats a win. He didn't want to he didn't want to show bipartisanship. He wanted to show like that things were a disaster and Trump was going to have to save the day. When Biden won and the and the Senate kind of flipped or at least were like, OK, we can do they passed that second round of PPP money. It was too late for me, but it was in time for so many restaurants and bars in Wisconsin. And Ron Johnson, as well as Tom Tiffany, voted against that bill. And that was before the insurrection. That's the day I decided to start the Monaco Brewing Company Super PAC to get rid of Ron Johnson and Tom Tiffany because they screwed my business. All kinds of uh, businesses. Me. I mean, uh, look here, uh, you know, a couple of our favorite restaurants in the Chippewa Falls area gone. Kristen, I imagine the same true for you. 
Yeah, we lost black and tan here in Green Bay. Uh, Jimmy C's, a local legend, was open for 20 years and they closed down. I think it was hard on lots of restaurants, but we're resilient people up here. So hopefully, you know, thankfully, a lot of places were able to muddle through, but it's not over yet. And that's what these folks going to Washington, D.C. and talking to all these legislators were trying to say. We're not done. We still need your help. And he right. abandoned them. And that's just it. It, it, it would have been. But um Again, the no business is necessarily entitled to government help, but when you're busy helping billionaires with tax cuts, mm-hmm. maybe you could help some of the little guys too. So thank you, Kirk. Thank you, Kristen. Thanks to Ed Dorf and Mark Becker. Thank you for joining us at the cabin. Come on back up north next week. Washington.